It's not spooky. It's just sad. This podcast doesn't exist. Hello. Hi. I'm Emma. I'm Shannon. And welcome to This Podcast Doesn't Exist. Do, 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 do. I hope you really liked um, Shannon's intro music. It is a this episode number 54 exclusive. It's an exclusive. An exclusive <laughs> single. An EP. It was a one-take wonder. I'm very impressed with it. Um, she did go to college for musical theater, you guys, so she does have a degree, so she knows her stuff. I know some stuff about some things. Yep. Yes. Don't we all? <laughs> I took a lot of music theory. Did I retain any of it? Music theory is terrifying. It's It takes something I love, which is music. And makes it something I don't love, which is math. The I don't need to understand. I don't need to understand the science of why it happens. I just want to do it. You know how uh, the Divine Comedy, like Milton, has like the rings of hell or whatever. Yeah, that's one of them. <laughs> Eight a.m. Music theory, <laughs> Monday through Friday, both semesters of senior year. Second circle. <laughs> Second circle of hell. First circle. Paper cuts. Every time you have lemon juice. Um, Third circle. Legos. Everywhere. Oh no. Yeah. And uh, you, you have to walk to the other side of the room every time. Awful. If you want to share with us what your circles of hell would be, you can write into us uh, at this podcast doesn't exist at gmail.com. If you're worried you're not going to remember that, don't worry. Just go to our website. This podcast doesn't exist.com. <laughs> .com. Yeah, just talk, type us into Google. We'll show up. Yeah, actually, we, we are literally one of the only things that shows up when you type in this podcast doesn't exist. So, um, turns out we branding. exist. Look at that brand. <laughs> really well. <laughs> ba -ba and also, don't forget to pull out your bingo cards, my friends, because I know that there are a couple you might get this time. Was that you pulling out your bingo card? Yeah. Well done. Thanks. Now, now tuck your hands back into your blanket. Shannon is very cold right now. The woes of a of a diabetic. <laughs> I got I got the the bad circulation. Everybody. Oh, happy uh, National Diabetes Awareness Month. Be aware of me. I am here. <laughs> I am here. Um, yeah. Go listen to my episode where I complain about Nick Jonas. Seriously, just tag him <laughs> fifteen thousand times comment on every TikTok that he makes and <laughs> be like, yo, Nick. Did you see Joe Jonas's costume for Halloween? Yes. I, do I remember what it is? No. Well, Sophie Turner was Lizzie McGuire and he oh, was Paolo and one yes. of their other friends was whoever the other Isabella. girl is. Isabella. Thank you. And it was very, it was very funny and it fit very well and it made me giggle because it means that he's actually a bad singer <laughs> on Halloween. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so go do all of the things, drink some water, um, and prepare for, uh, the trigger warning I'm about to give you about sexual assault, children dying, all of this fun stuff. Sorry, Shannon. <laughs> um, uh... I told you, it's not spooky. It's just scary. It's just sad. It's just, oh, that's it. It's not spooky. It's just scary. It's the same thing. <laughs> Uh, no, I disagree, though. That's fair. Because, like, spooky is, like, animated Scooby-Doo. Yeah. 
scary is people disappearing in the woods. Yeah. It's the woods making that sound. I don't know if you heard it. I don't know either, but yes. It sounded like the woods were like, yes, give me the people. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't like it. Okay, but it's not spooky or scary. It's just sad. Yes. Welcome to November. Sup? <laughs> Go find the sun for like the five minutes it's out. Seriously. Although I do love fall weather. It's making me very happy that it's cold. Yes, and don't forget on Sunday, we fall back an hour, daylight savings time. Oh, yes. Thank you for reminding me because I would not have remembered that at all. I mean, your phones do it on, like your devices do it automatically. Yes, so but really, your body doesn't. Really, it's just like your car and your oven that you have to manually. Or your insulin pump, if you're me. Yeah, that too. It, my body just doesn't react well to daylight savings. I was going to be like... To anything? Uh, yeah. Sentence, yeah. <laughs> and your body doesn't react, react well. well. Period. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, jokes, jokes, jokes. Ha, 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 ha. All right. That's sad time now. Sad time. Sad time. That's really good. Shannon's full of it. I'm full just, of all the songs I'm just, today. I'm just, here I am. I Very didn't get well any done. sleep last night, so. <laughs> Wired. All right. So, Shannon, mm -hmm. do you know anything about a boy named Walter Collins? Mm, no. All right. I don't think so. Well, you're about to learn. Wait. All right. Keep going. Yep. A young Californian boy goes missing and is miraculously found five months later, halfway across the country. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, I think I, I think I know. I think this was in my, like, folder of tabs of, like, maybe do this someday, but I won't now. Well, I specifically chose it because I knew it was a historical mystery you'd love. Unless it's a different child that disappears. Anyway, tell us about I it. I mean, Mama. there are plenty, unfortunately. Yes. Um, but how did he get there? And was his discovery actually the beginning of a case even larger than himself? I have a feeling you're going to tell me. I am. So in or around 1917, when Christine Ida Dunn married Walter J. Collins Sr. in Los Angeles, California, she had no idea who she was actually marrying. Turns out, Walter's real name was Walter Joseph Anson, an ex-convict who had served time for robbery twice before they were married. He had decided to keep his past from her. Which... I kind of get, but also, you married. You gotta know things about your spouse. In September 1918, they had a son named Walter. They lived happily for a while, but in 1923, when Walter was five, Walter Sr. was arrested and charged once again with robbery. This time, he had held up street conductors with a revolver and took money changes, personal items, and petty cash from them before fleeing. His identity was revealed upon his arrest, and he was charged with eight counts of robbery in the first degree. He was to serve his term five years for every count consecutively, so 40 years in Folsom Prison. Can I... This is not relevant at all, but That's maybe fine. you'll know. Why is it called petty cash? Like, I get that petty cash means, like, oh, a, a minimal amount, like a small amount, but <laughs> I just imagine it being, like, well... 
that nigga was mean to me once. So I'm petty. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, where is it? That nigga was mean to me once. So petty means like minor or, or like of small importance. Inconsequential. So it's basically like, it's not like it was a lot of money. I think it was $156 then that he was charged mm-hmm. with stealing from eight different street conductors. Oh, well, yes, so, yes. Like, I, I'm yeah. not concerned about that. I'm just mainly thinking about, like, which came first, petty cash or petty, like, behavior? You know what I mean? Ooh. Or is the petty behavior taking its name from... It's probably My behavior is petty because they what they did to me was inconsequential, so I am petty in that I am reacting in an overly sized way i don't really know because most of the things that i define as petty are very like small things that make you feel better and may inconvenience somebody else Mm -hmm. but aren't directly hurting them in any way usually so like i can't think of an example currently because i'm like (laughs) all the petty things i've done i'm not going to confess Because <laughs> I don't oh, want people I'll tell to know. You, I'll tell you a petty thing that I do. Ooh, ooh, go. Whenever I'm at Goodwill, mm-hmm. looking at the books, as I do, if I find a particular author who I do not agree with, I will take the book and turn it spine in so that if someone really wants to see it, they can like pull it out and look at it. But if you're just skimming Fast and Furious through the books, you're not you're probably not going to stop to check what that book is. See, but that's that's and then what I would definitely less define as likely petty. likely to get purchased cuz I'm like nobody needs his views. Nobody does. You I would definitely de- define that as a petty yeah. thing. So like it, but in that way it's like small inconsequential like you're not hurting anyone directly, but you're affecting a change. It makes a big emotional impact on me. Exactly. <laughs> All right, that was a detour. But, like, in, in that same vein, like, the petty cash is just, like, probably, like, small bills, anything that you can, like, use to make change kind of thing. Oh, yeah. That's what we called it at the theater when I worked there. Yeah. Petty cash. So this left Christine Collins, a single mother, living in Los Angeles, California. She got a job at the telephone company. She wrote letters to the warden of the prison to try and advocate for her husband. But her life really revolved around her son, Walter. On March 10th, 1928, nine-year-old Walter asked his mother if he could walk through the neighborhood and go to see a moving picture at the cinema nearby. Both of those are phrases that I felt the need to use because it is 1928. A moving picture at the cinema. She gave him a dime to see a moving picture and sent him on his way. Thems were the days. Right. Around 5 p.m. that day, he was seen by a neighbor at the corner of Pasadena Avenue and North Avenue 23 in Lincoln Heights, his own neighborhood in L.A. So that's where he and Christine lived. When Walter didn't arrive home, Christine was understandably panicked and contacted the LAPD. Now, the LAPD was already under a lot of investigation for corruption scandals and other issues, so their energy level for doing their actual job was low. Things have not changed. (laughs) Their first thought was, of course, that he had simply run away. Because what nine-year-old doesn't? Apparently. Did you ever run away when you were a kid? Or did you ever fake running away? Yeah, I feel like I I fake ran away to, like, the playground. 
I fake ran away to my parents' guest room. I would pack That's a I would pack a bag. <laughs> I know. I know. I would pack a bag and I would put like a like all of my most treasured items. So I would only take like my really important things and then I always packed an extra pair of underwear. <laughs> Well done. And an extra pair of socks. And I always had a hat, even though I hate hats and I never wear them. I was like, you have to travel with hats because apparently like seven-year-old me was like, this is a rule. Um, And I would pack a literal suitcase, roll it down the hallway, (laughs) go into the guest room and unpack. (laughs) Ma'am. No, I'm not lying to you. This tell truly me, happened. Tell me you're bougie without telling me you're bougie. When I would run away to the playground, I would take a handkerchief, put like my favorite Beanie Baby and some Pokemon cards in there, go out on the playground and find a stick, and you tie that to a stick. Oh, so you went full hobo. Yeah, because then I went to like the underside of like the little house that, or whatever. Yeah. I will say... Apartments, not awesome, but the U.S. Army, the military, they, the our playgrounds were stacked. They were great because they were like, oh, all these children whose parents are away at war, they don't want to be inside all the time. Uh, let's make it really awesome playground. So there were lots of little like levels and towers and like things to do. I like that. And then inevitably I'd be like, well... Didn't pack a snack, so <laughs> guess we're, we're going to go home guess we're for going some home. mandarin oranges. Thanks. I I don't know if I would classify myself as bougie, more so as, like, lonely. Like, <laughs> we moved so many times that when we did have, like, a guest space, it was usually, like, the office as well as, like, the extra bed where whoever would come would stay. Um, but, like... You know, you don't make friends very... I didn't make friends very quickly. I made friends, but I didn't make friends very quickly. So I was like, just gonna play in the house. <laughs> and I didn't have anywhere to run away to because I didn't know the area. So I was actually afraid of getting lost. <laughs> That's fair. Christine was unconvinced. Instead, believing that her son was either kidnapped or encountered some kind of horrible accident. The police did search the area and dragged the Lincoln Park Lake to no avail. No. But there was a lot of pressure to solve this case as it made headlines. Walter Sr. was convinced that potentially one of his former fellow inmates was wanting to get revenge against him by kidnapping his son. As a cafeteria worker, he was responsible for reporting any infractions of the other inmates and so made quite a few enemies on the inside, which feels like a weird job requirement. I mean... As part of the prison. Have you not heard of the Liberty Way? What's the Liberty Way? So Liberty University, the large Christian university. there we go. All right. Yep, Everyone's encouraged to report on everyone else. Yep. Which I'm like, ooh, that kind of creates trust in community. Totally. Well, it's also like a scare tactic to keep you from doing anything that would get you called out on yeah well and like in prison i imagine but maybe also at liberty it's like currency i saw you do blank be blank blank 
and I could report you, but if you do X, Y, and Z for me, then I won't. Yeah. And it, then it's like, well, I know you did this. Yeah. So, but da 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 Do you, you remember Christian? Mm-hmm. Ironically, she went to Liberty for a little bit. But she got, like, reported on because she was wearing yoga pants to the gym and she was wearing them outside of the gym. She was expected to get dressed in her dorm, go to the gym and get dressed in her gym clothes there, and then change back into her normal clothes and walk back to her dorm. And it was literally, like, the gym was across the street from her dorm. So she was like, what is the point? Well, don't you understand, Emma? For the young men of Liberty University, if they were to see the shape of a woman's leg, they would stumble. So stupid. We can talk about all that stupidity <laughs> Maybe later. that'll be an episode, because they, they're getting sued right now. Yeah. It's very serious. It is. Burn it all down. That's what I say. <laughs> D. Liberty Wards Road. So that we can all go to Barnes & Noble in peace. And also justice for Cheryl because they tore down the Sonic and she's sad. Aw. Yeah. Poor poor Cheryl. She poor deserves Cheryl. a Sonic. All right. Um, how did we get here? Right. He made enemies in prison. Yeah. There were a few interesting sightings and tips that came in, but nothing seemed to have any sticking power. A Glendale gas station attendant reported seeing a foreign couple which could literally mean anything at this point, but the thought is that they were Italian. They had stopped for directions and had a dead boy wrapped in newspaper in the back of their car, which feels very, like, obvious. Why would you not... (laughs) What? I know. Another man who had also seen this, named C.V. Staley, followed the couple from the gas station down the road a bit further. The couple stopped for a few seconds in front of the police station and then sped away from town and lost Staley pretty quickly. When the two men reported the sighting, they were shown a photo of Walter Collins, and they both agreed that he was the boy in the back of the car. But he was wrapped in newspaper? newspaper. Yeah, what? So, don't know how close you actually got to his face, if at all. Other tips came in from around California of a couple traveling with a boy who was very much alive and begging them to let him go, including one in Walter's own neighborhood in L.A. Besides a few odd tips, it seemed like Walter had just vanished. In August of 1928, five months after Walter went missing, he was picked up in DeKalb, Illinois, by police. When asked if he was Walter Collins, he at first denied it, saying his name was Arthur Kent. Eventually, however, he admitted to being Walter, saying he had initially avoided the questions because he wanted to protect his father. He said an unknown man had claimed to be his real father and asked him to accompany him to buy a new suit and then kidnapped him. Now the police were ecstatic. They contacted Christine and showed her photos of her son. At first, Christine said that she didn't believe this boy was her son. But after some exchanged letters, she paid for his travel via train from Illinois to Los Angeles. She met him at the train station with news reporters, cameramen, and police. And when I say cameramen, remember this is 1928. These are like actual cameras, (laughs) not like video cameras. Because of how much media this case had gotten and the apparent success of the downtrodden LAPD, the news media was desperate for a picture-perfect reunion of mother and son. No pressure. 
Nope. As soon as Walter got off the train, Christine looked at him and said, quote, I do not think that this is my boy, end quote. Captain J.J. Jones, the lead on the case, told Christine to, quote, try out the boy, end quote, and bring him home. It was just months without him that was making her think he wasn't hers. And the case was closed. End of story. Bye. Psych! Thanks for listening. <laughs> psych, psych, psych! Three weeks after Walter disembarked the train, Christine brought him to the police station and also brought dental records and statements from family and friends who knew Walter, claiming that this boy was not her boy and she could prove it. Captain Jones was enraged by this, apparently saying, quote, What are you trying to do, make fools out of us all? Or are you trying to shirk your duty as a mother and have the state provide for your son? You are the most cruel-hearted woman I've ever known. You are a fool. End quote. He decided it would be the best com to commit Christine to a psychiatric ward at the Los Angeles County Hospital using a Code 12 internment. This was a code that allowed a patient to be admitted to the hospital under a law enforcement officer's direct request. It was basically a way for police to commit someone against their will when they were being an inconvenience. Okay, but then doesn't her son, or this boy, still end up in the care of the state? Yep. You're an idiot, Captain Buttface. <laughs> I was like, oh, did you forget? No, you were just looking for a good I insult. did forget, but... <laughs> Hence why I gave but him that's a new a, name. That's a better name. Captain Buttface. But now the question was what to do with the boy. Yeah. He was claiming he was Walter Collins. They found him on the street, right? Just like... They found him... There are conflicting reports of either he was walking down the street and they picked him up because he was a kid alone. Or they... Like... Had, he came into the police station and reported that he was, like, lost or but something. But he wasn't living with anybody or anything like that. Not that they could, not that he admitted to. Okay. Maybe, maybe you'll get into it, so I'll wait. Okay. They eventually had a handwriting expert look at Walter's writing and this boy's letters that he exchanged with Christine and found that this boy's R's were commonly taught in Illinois but not found in California. And the way that they could do this was because cursive was still a super big thing to teach at this point mm. in schools. Handwriting was really an important like lesson in schools. Um, and there were certain regional ways that were taught in the States how to write certain letters. Like S's are really different, like both uppercase and lowercase R's were really different, all that kind of stuff. So I found that fascinating. Obviously handwriting analysis is a very broad, uh, vague subject, but still I've interesting. I've seen the Halle Berry movie of Catwoman, so I know. Oh. Yeah, they get a handwriting expert, because she writes a note when she, like, steals the jewels oh, as yeah, Catwoman. Yeah, yeah. But then Catwoman's handwriting is different from hers, but they're the same they're person. The same person. Yeah. Can't believe you didn't know that. I mean, I'm so sorry. I am not well-versed in the... It's one of the only DC movies I've seen and, like, enjoyed. I think the only DC movie that I've seen and really liked was Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Because Wonder Woman 2 was not that great. 
I still haven't seen it. Suicide Squad sucks. Don't watch it. I mean, it's a good hate watch. Ah. And the I love, fr- not, I love not the, Smith. Not the first one. Oh. The second one. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen that no, one either. No, don't watch it. It's awful. Sorry if you like those things. It's not no. It's not me. <laughs> All right. Christine spent days in the psych ward until the boy confessed that his real name was Arthur Hutchins. Arthur Hutchins was 12 years old and had run away from the home he lived in with his father and stepmother in Illinois. It wasn't the first time, and he admitted to many other aliases. He had pretended to be Walter when he was told he looked like the missing boy from California. He wanted to meet his favorite movie star, Tom Mix, who was famous for his cowboy persona, and thought that this was an easy way to get a free trip to Los Angeles. Which, not wrong, but... Very Frank Abagnale Jr. of it. Yeah. Of him. Very much so. Arthur didn't seem to have any remorse for pretending to be Walter Collins, instead saying that he thought Christine knew that he wasn't really her son. And so it was just like a game for both of them. Because she took good care of him while mm-hmm. he was in her care. But he was kind of like, yeah, no, she knows that I'm not her kid. We're just hanging out. She's a nice person. It's fine. And so he didn't, I I mean, he's also 12. He doesn't understand the repercussions, really, Mm -hmm. of, like, you know, the amount of pain that he could have caused her. Arthur's stepmother came to pick him up in L.A. and bring him back to (laughs) Illinois. Somebody got a a whooping? Really, though. I can't uh, imagine the amount of money at that point that it took to travel. And I love that both times the police was like, they were like, oh, we found your kid, but... She had, like, yeah, she had to you pay, get to pay to get for him it. out to L.A. And, like, oh, we mistakenly, like, took the word of a child over dental records. Oh, I'm bad, but you have to come get him. We're not going to pay. Yeah. <laughs> nope. After Arthur went home, Christine was released from the psych ward ten days after Hutchins had admitted he wasn't Walter. I hate the police. <laughs> There's the cap. (laughs) That's the the piece I'm going to put at the beginning of this. Cold open. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Are there good cops? Individuals? Yes, of course. As an institution? Mm, Yeah. Could be better. Could be non-existent. Just saying. Christine, racked with pain and absolutely furious, filed a lawsuit against the LAPD. Good for you, girl. Yep. Specifically against Captain Jones. Yes, get that bag. She won the lawsuit in 1930 and was awarded $10,800, which is about $155,000 in today's money. But it was never paid to her. Damn it! I was like, what a fun, unexpectedly joyful plot twist! And then the Police does it again. What happened? What'd they do? They didn't have money because they were so bad at being police that they didn't have any money. It was just never awarded to her. She tried again in 1941 specifically from the then retired Captain Jones um, and still no money. No? Not even in like a civil suit? Nope. Because in, in the lawsuits you can be... You can be awarded money. People can be told this is the amount that you owe to them. But if they don't have the money, they can't give it to you. Oh, yeah, like Tiger King. Yep. He's supposed to give Carol Baskin all that money, but he didn't have it. He didn't have it. 
They're coming out with season two. Oh, no. I haven't even seen season one. What? I know. Bruh. Where are you? Where were you all of quarantine? Making bread. Making bread. Deep depression. (laughs) (laughs) Making bread. Deep depression. The name of our album. (laughs) What genre is it? I don't know. (laughs) Neither do you. (laughs) Ska. Ska. (laughs) (laughs) The intro. The intro of one song is just the sound of like your hands in a bowl of dough. Like squishing it, and then the end of that track will be the like crunch of like a Ooh! crust of bread. It's very experimental, you see. I like it. Zach Bagans has a new album. A new album? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know he had an an album. It's basically it sounds like a a fan just took supercuts of all of his exclamations during Ghost Adventures and like put a track underneath it. But I think he genuinely did it himself. So you're telling me his whole album sounds like that one TikTok audio that's like, oh no, it's my house on a table. Uh, uh, it's broken. <laughs> you know what's what I'm talking about, right? It's such a bop. That was stuck in my head earlier today. I was like, oh no, Mm-mm-mm. our table. And meanwhile, I had the Tiggled Bitty song stuck in my head. I'm unfamiliar. Without any of the words. If you know that song, feel free to have it stuck in your head now. Oh, super good. Um, Tiger King also has an album, just so you know. I feel like I knew that, and I just didn't want to know it, so But I'm pretty sure it's not his voice singing. Oh, no. It's just him in the music videos with tigers. Oh, no. That's sad. It's a lot. It's It's a lot. But it was, like, just what we needed at that point in quarantine. And they didn't even know it. Yeah. And then Bridgerton happened. That was almost a year ago. Oi. Because Christmas is coming. I'm, I'm done with most of my shopping, so I'm... Yeah, in. I don't understand how you're able to do that. Well, surprise. Everybody's getting books! <laughs> but not the ones she turned around at Goodwill. No. I would never. No. I have very strong feelings about that particular author. I'm never going to give somebody one of those books. I'm, I'm glad. The question remains, where is Walter? Oh, no. I got so mad about the money that I forgot. Yeah. Um, and this is when it gets to the trigger warnings, my friends. Sad. At the same time that the media was covering the disappearance of Walter Collins, another case popped up. Two brothers, Nelson and Louis Winslow, 10 and 12 respectively, went missing on their way home to Pomona, California, which is about halfway between L.A. and San Bernardino to the east, on May 16, 1928. This is only two months after Walter vanished. The police, however, did not connect the cases, which isn't unusual. I mean, they've got apparently a lot going on. Well, they weren't even doing that in, like, the 70s. Yeah, so... Counties weren't talking to each other. Not at all. The Winslow parents got strange letters from their boys in the mail, with one saying that they were headed to Mexico, and another saying they planned to stay missing as long as it continued to make them famous. Which is both weird and, like, if a kid said, like, if a, if a kid thinks that, it, it, it feels like a kid thing to think. Do you know what I mean? 
Like, yeah. oh, I'm getting famous. People know who I am. I guess the only way I can stay famous is if I don't come out of, like, hiding or whatever. Right. Well, and I feel like me as an adult, my thought process was, well, what good is being famous if you're not going to make any money off of it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but the I mean? kid's like, not... Being famous doesn't get you anything. Yeah, but the kid, the kid is thinking, oh, I'm famous like I'm the famous. movie stars. Yeah. Yeah, they're not thinking about the like, monetary no. gain. The only good thing about being famous would be to like walk into a restaurant or something and have them be like, free food for you. Although if you're rich and famous, you don't need free stuff. But anyway, capitalism. <clears throat> what happened to these sad children? Well, I mean, or it, it is sad what happened to them. <laughs> or potentially happy <laughs> pretending to be missing children. Well, that's all I have to say on them. Oh. Um, but a gruesome case of a headless body of a young Latino boy in La Puente, which is just east of L.A., had been found in February 1928, and it was also not connected, although the boy was in the same general area and in the same general age range, just unfortunately dead rather than vanished. In August of 1928, Winifred Clark a Canadian woman, contacted a U.S. consulate and told them that her nephew, 22-year-old Gordon Stewart Northcott, had murdered four young boys on his chicken ranch in Wineville, California. The information came from her daughter, Jessie, who had gone to visit her 15-year-old brother, Sanford, and her uncle, Gordon, and Sanford had confessed to her one night that he had been witness to these crimes. The consulate contacted the police department, who in turn contacted the U.S. Immigration Service, since Gordon was actually Canadian. On August 31st, 1928, immigration inspectors Shaw and Scallern visited Gordon's ranch. They immediately took Sanford into custody, remember he's only 15, and for two hours he told them nothing, but the house was empty of anybody else. Finally, Sanford felt that he could say something and told the officers that Gordon and his mother, Sarah Louise, had fled the house and left him there to stall, threatening to shoot him with a rifle from the tree line if he sent the officers their way. So let's back up a bit. Born in Bladworth, Saskatchewan, which is just a crazy thing to try and spell, you guys. Google is my best friend. And raised in British Columbia, Gordon Stewart Northcott moved with his parents to Los Angeles in 1924 when he was 17. Two years later, in 1926, he and his father purchased a plot of land in Wineville in Riverside County. This is where he built a chicken ranch and a house. He didn't do it alone, though. His father did try to help. He was in construction. But Gordon really wanted his 11-year-old nephew from Bladworth to come help as well. He needed more help on the ranch than his father could provide, apparently. Unfortunately, the real reason was so that he could physically and sexually abuse his nephew. Now, I have no clue what happens to his dad. Either he left to go back to Canada or he was just around, but he seems not to really be a part of this story. But man, was his mom around for this whole thing. <clears throat> yeah. Now, the story started unraveling when Jesse went to visit her brother in 1928 and heard what he had whispered to her in the middle of the night about their uncle, grandmother, and the missing boys who were making the papers. Jesse claimed, too, that her uncle Gordon became violent towards her and made sure that her mother included that in the testimony to the United States Consulate, and she included it in her own testimony to the LAPD, which, like, go girl. 
Eventually, Sanford confirmed this story to the police, saying that not only did his uncle kill and have Sanford help kill the missing boys, the headless body, Walter, Lewis, and Nelson, that his grandmother, Sarah Louise Northcott, did as well. She apparently had the three of them take turns when it came to swinging the axe for one of the murders so that they were all equally guilty if they were ever discovered, which is just the sickest thing on the planet. Mm-hmm. Sanford also said his uncle was molesting and abusing not only him, but an undetermined number of other boys as well. Typically, after he molested them, he would drive them home and let them go. Four of these boys did not get away, or at least only four that Sanford knew of, and they had been held in the chicken coop. Sanford said he had helped or been forced to help his uncle kill and decapitate the boy found in La Puente, who was eventually identified as Alvin Gothia, a Mexican national. They had burned his head and crushed the skull, dumping the body where it was found in February. The Winslow brothers had been buried with Walter Collins, Sanford said. Walter had apparently seen Gordon help another man kill his mining partner, and so Sanford and Gordon killed him to eliminate a witness, although I'm very dubious on this reason to kill a nine-year-old. Feels a bit of a stretch. Yeah, well, because even if a nine-year-old came to you and was like, I saw a man kill somebody, you'd be like, you've been reading Robinson Crusoe or whatever. You've seen a movie. like Yeah. It's 1928. We all think that those are real. Sanford told police where they could find the remains of the children, and the search of the Northcott farm turned up unfortunate results. Three potential graves were found on the property, but there were only pieces of bone to be found. No real skeletal remains that could be articulated. Gordon's M.O. for burying his victims was apparently to hack with an axe and cover in quicklime, so the evidence was slim. Forensic pathologists were able to determine, however, that these bones that were scattered across the ranch, because these three graves were not the only place they found bones, um, were all from male children, which I'm not completely sure how they did that. I don't know what bones they had, um, but they were like ground up pieces like there was nothing that was definitive like this is three different people it was like these are some bones and we can determine that some of these bones are from male children Mm. also according to sanford and his sister jesse during their testimonies sarah louise and gordon dug up the bodies the evening of august 4th 1928 and took the bodies to a deserted area most likely to burn them so no complete bodies have ever been recovered. Other evidence, like murder weapons, were found with evidence on them. Inside the house, there were items that were directly attributed to the Winslow brothers. A book checked out in one of their names, more letters to their parents, a whistle, and Boy Scout badges, which just like, ugh, that one hurt me. But there was nothing that could be found that linked Walter Collins to the Northcott farm. So there's no, like, clothing, there's no personal belongings, there's nothing. While the search of the Northcott farm was being conducted, the search for the perpetrators continued. It was clear that Gordon and his mother had fled the coop. I wrote in parentheses, ugh, I'm funny. Because apparently I needed to acknowledge it to myself as well. Gordon's father said that his son confessed to him that he had killed the boys and told police where the mother and son might be found. So I don't know where he was, like, that he would know that or have heard that, but that was reported. 
Gordon was finally found in British Columbia on September 20th, 1928, and arrested. Sarah Louise was arrested in Alberta. Because of errors in extradition paperwork, it took until November 30th to send the pair to Los Angeles. While waiting for this extradition, Sarah Louise confessed to the murders, including that of nine-year-old Walter Collins. But right before she was extradited, she retracted her confession. Gordon did the same with his confession of killing more than five boys. However, she confessed again to the murder of Walter and pled guilty. There wasn't a trial for her. The judge sentenced her to life in prison on December 31st, 1928, sparing her the death penalty because she was a woman. Uh. During her sentencing, she defended her son vehemently and also made some interesting statements about his background. Mm. She claimed he was innocent, of course, but also that he was the illegitimate son of an English nobleman. (laughs) What? I'm not sure how she tried to back that up. She's like, Um, I studied abroad once. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It was the summer of 1919. They got dukes everywhere. I mean, they're just just crawling, aren't they? Crawling around everywhere. I don't know. That's not what... (laughs) Now I'm thinking about a man on all fours. I don't know. We love a good good grovel, honestly. A grovel is necessary. Yeah, maybe. In historical romance, at least. Yeah. That that is a very common trope. Sarah McLean is the queen of a good grovel. I mean, there's nothing more attractive than a man who knows he's wrong. Take notes, everybody. (laughs) Felix? (laughs) Nah, he knows. (laughs) No woman. Anytime we we have some sort of bit, I love watching you be like, ha ha, all right, back to the notes. What what does any of this say? (laughs) Oh, yes, I found my place. Okay. (laughs) I can't, if this ever goes to video, you guys... Um, straight to DVD. Straight to DVD. Um, <laughs> I have no ability of metering the amount of emotion that comes across in my face. Measuring? No, like keeping it, like... Controlling? Controlling. There you go. Metering? What are you, a, a water pump? Like... I'm, an ener- I'm a ball of energy. You gotta read the meter. How much... How much annoyance does I have today? Usually it's at the extreme. But it's only for myself because I'm home alone all the time. Alright. Sarah Louise also claimed that Gordon was actually her grandson. A product of incest between her husband and daughter. And then she didn't claim this specifically, but there were a lot of rumors that she and Gordon themselves had an intimate incestuous relationship. So there was a lot going on in that. She also made statements that Gordon was sexually abused by his entire family as a child, which is very unfortunate, but also doesn't surprise me Mm. if this is the kind of person he turned out to be. Not to say that if you are sexually abused as a as a kid that this is who you will become but if you already you have that leaning good model you have behavior. exactly you don't have that ability to sever those ties um especially not when you're like this gets me what i want kind of thing 
Sarah Louise Northcott served her sentence in Tehachapi, I'm gonna, sorry if that's not right, state prison, and was let out on parole after 12 years. She died in 1944. Good. But she only served 12 years of her life sentence. Well, it just, that, all right. I don't know. We can move on. We've established that the police and prison industrial systems are not great. Nope. Now, for Gordon, there was a trial. Unfortunately, because he took his confession back and because his mother had already pled guilty to killing Walter Collins, the state chose not to prosecute Gordon in that murder. And it's only a potential murder since they only had her confession, but no evidence to Mm. back it up. Um, Instead, they were able to implicate him very easily in the deaths of the Winslow brothers and the unidentified Mexican boy, eventually found to be Alvin. Gordon's trial was held in Riverside County, California in January 1929, and on February 8th, the trial, which took 27 days, ended with Gordon convicted and sentenced to death a few days later, with a date set for the next year for his execution. Now, Christine Collins was, of course, very interested in learning whether or not the Northcotts kidnapped and killed her son. She was not convinced that Sarah Louise had done it alone, if at all, and wanted to speak to Gordon. She became hopeful after her first encounter with him, where he said yes, no, yes, going back and forth until Christine realized that he must be insane, but like, yeah. (laughs) Gordon did not seem to know if he had met her son, much, much less killed him, and that gave Christine hope. Just before his execution in 1930, Gordon sent Christine a telegram telling her he had lied when he had denied killing Walter, but he wanted to tell her the truth in person. When she went to the prison to hear it from the murderer's lips, he told her he didn't want to see her, that he knew nothing about it, and that he was innocent. A news account at the time said, quote, The distraught woman was outraged by Northcott's conduct, but he was, but she was also comforted by it. Northcott's ambiguous replies and his seeming refusal to remember such details as Walter's clothing and the color of his eyes gave her continued hope that her son still lived. End quote. On October 2nd, 1930, Gordon Stewart Northcott was hanged in San Quentin State Prison. He was 23 years old. So a lot. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of an episode of Criminal Minds. Correct. Oh, uh, not directly, just her her feelings. Oh. Like, one of the characters, his, like, niece or cousin or some young woman in in his family has gone missing, has been missing. So his, and he works for the BAU, like the serial killer unit in the FBI. So his family is, like... Anytime there's a, a an unsub with, like, an MO that seems to, you know, th- they're kidnapping girls that, like, look like his relative. They're like, do you think, you know, do you think they could be the reason she's gone? And then finally, he's just, he wants to give them closure. Mm-hmm. So there's, like, an unidentified 
woman, like, remains are found. And he essentially, like, lies to his family and says, like, it's her. Like, it's over. So that they can... all have some kind of closure. But then later on... <gasps> it wasn't her. Obviously. <laughs> but, like, no, like, later on, like, she's alive. So oh! they get into, like... Sorry for the spoilers, guys, but, like, lie. whoa. But I don't remember... The details. details beyond that. But apparently there's other more specific things coming soon there to this are. podcast discussion. We gotta get through a few things first, so. Alright. So five years after Gordon was executed, a young boy and his parents spoke to the authorities. The young boy had been reported missing seven years earlier and speculated to be one of Gordon's victims. Sanford did not tell police that one of the boys kept in the chicken coop had escaped. This possibility that he had escaped Gordon, however, made Christine hope that her son had done the same. Christine Collins never stopped looking for her son, but she died in 1964 at the age of 75, never knowing where her son was. Sanford Clark was never prosecuted for his part in the murders. He was looked at as a victim as much of the boys murdered were, which, thank goodness, he was, however, sent to a juvenile reformatory, basically juvie, for five years, but was let out early for very good behavior. He moved back to Saskatchewan after his time was done at juvie and passed away in 1993 back home where he belonged. So now we can move on to popular culture. <laughs> this story has influenced multiple books, mostly nonfiction, and of course the Wineville chicken coop murders have been retold and reworked in multiple TV shows and movies, like American Horror Story, Hotel, and Criminal Minds. There's a whole episode where it's about this man who has a very similar MO to Gordon Northcott and has a farm and is very not a good person and one of his victims escapes. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how they find him in the episode as the like monster of the week. However, the most well-known retelling of the disappearance is the movie The Changeling, starring Angelina Jolie as Christine Collins, and was directed by Clint Eastwood. Did not know this. Apparently Clint Eastwood has been, like, a director for a while now. I was not aware. <laughs> the story in The Changeling centers around Christine, specifically. And I really want to see it. It's a psychological thriller situation. It centers, of course, around her, but specifically, like, her interactions with the LAPD her time in the psych ward and her time after learning that she's like, as she's trying to find her son that, you know, it's getting harder and harder as well as the chicken coop murders being a part of it. But apparently it's very good and I want to see it. I also wanted to look a little into the title as it was something that seemed familiar to me. Turns out a changeling is a folk creature that is believed to be a fairy that has been left in the place of a human child who had been stolen by the fae essentially exchanging their kids. It appears in folklore from the UK, Germany, Ireland, Poland, Scandinavia, and Spain in different varieties, and also appears in some African folklore. Typically, you could identify these creatures by their sickly appearance and not growing usually. Notable physical characteristics, <laughs> it said, like a beard or long teeth. I'm like, I have never seen a baby with a beard. <laughs> well, you've never seen a changeling. Apparently. 
they also have an extreme ravenous appetite. They could be immediately identified after birth if they were born with a call, which is a part of the amniotic membrane that babies are in, and then it would apparently be destined to die soon because they are a fey birth. Hmm. But usually you just take the call off. <laughs> Don't really... It was like an omen to them. These fey, these changelings, were fairies wanting to either be coddled, take human babies as servants, or just to mess with humans. In reality, these children were probably born with physical maladies or birth defects um, that made them not valuable to their labor-intensive families, or they were taking too many of their resources and so needed to be gotten rid of. The common way of solving this was either infanticide, yikes, or leaving the baby to be taken by the fae by abandoning them in the woods. Bigger yikes. Now the theories for this are obviously pretty thin, because there's really only two options. First theory, Walter was kidnapped not by the Northcots, but by another couple, like the two seen at the gas station. Either they killed him and dumped him somewhere and he hasn't been found, or they took him and Stockholm syndromed him to live out the rest of his life with them or another family that didn't mind keeping him on the DL. But the prevailing theory is that Walter Collins was killed by the Northcots in the Wineville chicken coop, but with no physical evidence and testimonies being kind of wonky, we can't know for sure. I also added that time travel was an option. Because portals are open everywhere, my friends. Yep. The doctor just... Oh, I really like that. And picked him up. Hitched a ride. they went hitchhiking among the stars. The end. I like that. I like that a lot. What do you think? I just told you what I think. The doctor? Okay, good. Yeah, clearly. Right. Yeah. Um... Great. Well, that's that's that, friends. The end. <laughs> I'm sorry for the um, you sad one. You just love a sad child story. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just I'm sitting here. I'm like the Beaumont children. This Maura Murray. More. She's not a child though. Yeah, this, she's in her twenties. Summerton. Summerton Man was... No, no, no. Um, The Fire. Oh, the Sodder Children. Sodder Children. Yeah, apparently sad kid stories are my thing. Put that on Emma's niche list. (laughs) (sighs) I was trying to explain to some co-workers my whole Mount Everest thing. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it to you. It's just... How are you not fascinated by this? Do they not have morbid curiosities? I mean, like, I feel like they do, but they were like, why Mount, like, why Mount Everest? What's the deal? Or maybe, I think I've had a variation on that conversation with coworkers, but then potentially also at your Halloween party. Oh, that Maybe it was Connor or somebody that I was talking about our podcast with <laughs> they were like so why what's the what's the deal i was just like what do you mean it's fascinating <laughs> i mean i don't not get it like it it is an epic thing to think about just in general like it's obviously captivating for a great number of people because a lot of people have 
I'm gesturing to Shannon's <laughs> Everest books right now. Um, hey, only two of these are Everest books. That's true. I think two of them are Titanic books and one is the Lusitania. Oh, yes. I mean. <laughs> don't, don't come for me. Not gonna. Uh, I um, think most of the Everest books are in the closet. Yeah. Anyway, I... I this don't... should be on the bingo card. Shannon manages to bring up that Everest for no apparent reason. And one of her morbid curiosities, we should say. Because you could bring up Titanic. It's almost, and... it's almost always not Everest, though. Do you want to go to the Titanic Museum in Tennessee? Yes. Okay. Of course. Also, the one in Belfast is cool. I was going to say, you've already it's been good, there. <laughs> but I've been there. But I'll go again. Because I was there on like a... Trip, yeah, like a school with trip. A, with a group. Yeah. So there was a time limit. Yeah. I mean, I'm, just, I'm trying to plan. Tennessee does feel more Manageable. Uh, accessible at the current yeah. point in our pandemic and, and we financial could, We could lives. go see Hannah Mae. Okay. It'd be fine. Let's go. All right. Dollywood. <gasps> I completely Titanic, forgot! Titanic Museum, Nashville. Done. Is it bad that I'm more excited about Dollywood? No. Okay, great. I'm more excited That's about That's how I'll make it up to you. Yeah, because I'm Is gonna... it Graceland also in Tennessee? Yeah. Memphis. Okay, the fact that you're using your slipper as a puppet. You guys, Shannon has been wearing slippers this whole time. No, and she... I took them off partway through. Okay, but she took one off and put it on the couch next to her, and she keeps sticking her hand in it and moving it like it has a mouth. <laughs> you don't like it? <laughs> I don't why I don't because usually I love puppets. Evan just had a very visceral reaction y'all that was <laughs> we just need some comedy we just we need to laugh <laughs> I don't know if I like that I All don't right. know well I guess we're taking a road trip to Tennessee um and that's how Shelby and I and Sarah we will all go inside the Titanic Museum that floods and we'll leave you in the parking lot. Yep. Because you don't want to go. I'll just go but grab, you I'll grab my just, in and out. You can just use that against us okay. when you want to spend like four hours at Graceland talking uh, absol- to people yeah. about Elvis. Absolutely. You'll be like, ah, 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 remember, I let you go to the Titanic Museum. Yes. Fun. Great. All right. Well, we can definitely do that. We'll put it on the list um, and we can. Travel and work, I guess. Yeah. Because guess who don't have uh, vacation days yet? <laughs> Me! <laughs> it's Emma. <laughs> <laughs> All right, friends. Well, if you want to come, like, hang out with us in Tennessee in the yeah. distant future when we finally figure out when Are we're we able to go. Are renting a minivan? I guess. A minibus? Dallas? <laughs> you want to <laughs> come pick us up? <laughs> we hear outside, like, skirt! Beep, beep. <laughs> <It's all aboard. laughs> She's just fully misfrizzled up. Uh, I love that. Me too. Alright, well, friends, remember this podcast doesn't exist. Getting so crispy. I love it. it no! <laughs> I did not realize it was there. I don't know why I don't like it. I usually love Puppets. You gave this to me. I gave you it to use as a slipper. What's wrong with it? You heard 
guys feeling? I'm so sorry, buddy. When you do it like, oh. Oh, no, I like the other way better. Although that way does make him have hair. Now he has a mullet. <laughs> I don't know why it's freaky to me. I don't know. We'll put some eyes on him. He'll be better. Okay. All right, bye. Oh, bye. <laughs>